mental health. We use those words a lot, but we never really allow ourselves to talk about it in public, as if discussing it will make us seem weaker or informing the people around us will only hold us back. That's flat out not true, though. Some people might always be insecure jerks looking to bring you down, but there are also many genuinely good-hearted people who need you to speak up so that they can feel okay talking themselves. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie, and if you can't tell, this is going to be a kind of heavy episode with a lot of potentially unpleasant topics. However, I do think it's important to get as many people as we can to listen to something like this. My guest today is Sonia Wasden. Sonia struggled with depression, bipolar, obsessive-compulsive, and anxiety disorders for 30 years before attempting suicide. She is now a keynote speaker and award-winning author talking publicly about the need for more mental health awareness. Let's start being honest when we're struggling. Welcome to the show, Sonia Wasden. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you give a little introduction about yourself to the audience that's listening? Okay. I'm a suicide survivor. I have managed mental health disorders, the bipolar, obsessive compulsive disorder, and an anxiety disorder for over 35 years. Um, I'm a mental health advocate. I'm a keynote speaker. I um, am an author. Um, I wrote my memoir, An Impossible Life, that journeys um, my experience, my personal journey with my suicide attempt, mental health struggles, and how I overcame them. My book, An Impossible Life, is the Eric Hopper 2022 Grand Prize winner. And I'm super passionate about having open and inclusive and safe conversations around mental health. Obviously, it's very personal and to me. Um, because I'm a suicide survivor and I did lose my dad to suicide. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, so when you talk about, you know, mental health and the things that just go on in everyday life that we seem to ignore, what is it you most like to focus in on? Well, I think a lot of times the, with mental health, like what you just said, that we experience our mental health every day, just like our physical health. And I like to tell people when they're having trouble with mental health, that they're like little alarm bells, letting you know that, Hey, pay attention to me. Just like if you start, your arm starts to hurt. Right. And what happens a lot of times is people ignore these mental health little alarm bells, and then they just get worse and worse and worse until you end up like I did, because I did ignore my mental health to the point where I did swallow over a hundred antipsychotic pills and attempt to take my life. So I think it's very critical that we have these conversations and understanding that people pay attention to their little mental health alarm bells to go get the help they need. Yeah. Do you see a reason as to why we are not talking about this? Like it, it's such an important part of our lives and obviously it can lead to, you know, such extremes that people, you know, feel the need to take their life. Why aren't we talking about it? 
You know, it's funny that you say that when I ask people, when I speak to people, the first question I ask them is what is the first thoughts and words that come to your mind when I say mental health struggles and it's setback, weakness, anxiety, worst thing ever. And I think we need to change the conversation. So people feel like, I don't want to talk about something so gloomy, so dark, or I'm weak, or people are going to view me different. And I think we need to change the conversation of realizing mental health challenges are a part of our life journey, just like our physical. And I think what people need to change the conversation to is you are brave. You are strong. You're going to learn something new. You're going to come out of this stronger, focusing a little bit more on, Hey, what can mental health challenges teach you new? How can it get you to more success to meet more of your goals? And a lot of people are like, what? No, no, it's, it's a setback. It's a weakness. And one thing that they don't realize is mental health challenges can make you make impactful changes in your life, like breaking up in an unhealthy relationship, maybe changing your major, maybe changing your job. And they can be these huge positive things, but because there's so much gloom and dark or, oh, I don't want to be seen as crazy. These labels and stigmas is why I think people don't talk about them. Yet it seems so bizarre that we, we stigmatize people. It feels like, oh, well, I need to put someone else down. If I feel weak, like I need to make them weaker. And this just feels like a weird way to pick on each other because we don't necessarily do it in other ways. You know, people who are like physically fit don't generally just like go out and shame people who are not. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because like, um, I thought I was talking with a friend the other day about those Ironman races, since you brought up, you know, about people who are physically fit. And when somebody says they're going to do an Ironman, they were like, cool, you're going to become so strong, amazing. Well, Ironman are really painful. They're difficult. They're very hard to do. I mean, people are choosing to put themselves in uncomfortable, painful situations. And I was saying, wouldn't it be amazing if somebody said, I'm having a mental health challenge and they go, wow, amazing. You're going to come out so strong. You're going to, you're going to be so courageous. Like you've got this. And, you know, it's funny. We don't, but mental health challenges are painful, difficult, you know, and we just, I would agree with you more that people are like, oh, they're weaker. They feel like, oh, I'm not having mental health challenges. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of mental health challenges out there um, and it can reach a very broad range of, of disorders and all kinds of issues. Do you see a lot of them rooted in the same causes? You know um, what I think we need to differentiate here is there's mental illness that's biological and there's mental health disorders or illnesses that are environmental. So mine is biological. I will have mine for the rest of my life, but most people's are environmental. Like an event happened, trauma happened, stress, the world. These are environmental mental health challenges. And yes, they you know, distribute the same symptoms as mine, but the good news is that they can get through them. And 
they could actually not have mental health challenges for years. I mean, like I taught, they're part of life's journey. So they'll come back and they go and they come, but mine is a day, day, day in for the rest of my life. And I think sometimes we need to differentiate those to know what you're dealing with. Is this environmental? So I need to make some serious changes in my life. Or is this an illness that I'm going to have to learn how to manage for the rest of my life? Yeah. Can one turn into the other? Like if you have, you know, sustained environmental causes for a long time, can it lead to a biological problem? Um, It's interesting that you say that. So what my psychiatrist talked to me about is we can just like cancer can lay dormant or illnesses or different things can lay dormant. The yes, a mental illness can get triggered and then start expressing itself for the rest of your life. If you have a traumatic event or, you know, we're our minds, our bodies are ever changing and can be affected by many things. So the answer to your question is yes. And do they all have like some level of crossover or do we want to put them all in like a tidy box where we say like, oh, this is specifically depression and anxiety is a little different box. Or are they like, yeah, the boxes hold certain symptoms, but they spill out into each other. I would say they spill out into each other. Yes. I don't think it's, you know, I, I think that, and and also I think we have to acknowledge there's a spectrum, right? So you could say I'm experiencing depression or I have depression, but there's a spectrum of it, right? On where you're falling out or anxiety. So yes, they bleed together. They come together. And a lot of time, if you're experiencing um, even physical like illnesses, it can trigger depression, anxiety, where if you have depression, anxiety can trigger physical pain. So, you know, your body is very um, intertwined. And so, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I've never had depression, but then all of a sudden I, you know, my sister, I, she never had depression. Then she got cancer and then she developed some depression, some anxiety, you know, or my mental illness has caused me to have physical, like really bad migraine headaches or so. I, I think it's all intertwined. I don't think it's as clear cut as sometimes people want to make it or as simple. Yeah. And that, yeah, obviously it feels like, oh, I could have, you know, you, you could rate them all on a one to 10 where you're like, oh, I have a three depression and I have a five anxiety and I have, you know, whatever else. Um, but that makes it, it feels like it should make it anyway, more difficult to treat, right? Yes. I, mental, mental illness is very difficult to treat. And anybody who's had mental health challenges, I mean, we could have a whole conversation on that about not enough resources, hard to get into see a psychiatrist medication. It's not like, Oh, I take this medication. It magically works. It is constantly having to have the patience endurance to try different medications, to find what works for you, even therapy, finding the right therapist. And so it's, it's mental health is a lot harder to treat than like a broken arm or I have the flu. Right. And there's a lot of avenues I would guess for treatment where you're like, you could have medication and you could also need a therapist. And like I had a psychiatrist on one of the episodes and he said, you know, sometimes you need to be talking to someone to get through an issue 
And sometimes you need a medication to help balance out, you know, a chemical disorder. Obviously, there's a lot of that out there. Is it hard to find these resources? You know, it's getting, uh, okay, that's twofold. Okay. So one, yes, there's a lot. Yes, it's difficult because we have a shortage. Two, there's more resources out there. I mean, with the internet, there's so much great information out there. But I would even say three, a lot of people experiencing mental health challenges. If you're super depressed, it's hard to get motivated to go get help. And so that's where I feel like speaking to friends, speaking up, and maybe I have had challenges where I literally had my friend call my doctor for me, come and pick me up and take me to the doctors. And a lot of people think, okay, just go get help, go do it yourself. Where it's like, well, if you broke your leg, maybe you can't drive your car. You need someone to drive you to go help you. I think people need to look at mental health challenges the same way, even though you can't physically see it. Maybe you need to help them research the right program, help them get the appointment, help them get there. So, yeah, I think they're, you know, what's complicated is those three things. Right. And it's one of those, like, if you broke your arm, you could technically drive yourself to the hospital, but a lot of people would rather not. Yes, that is true. That is true. So when you're experiencing these these situations, you know, you're feeling very depressed, whether that's, you know, you're feeling down or you're feeling, you know, bad about yourself or whatever else comes with it. When is the right time to reach out to the people around you? You know, that's a really good question. And what I tell people when I am encouraging mental health discussions, I think it is best to always be speaking up, use your voice. You know, when people say, how do we break mental health stigmas is to talk about it. So even if you're starting to feel really sad, it's okay to say, you know what? I feel really sad today. And what's also interesting about it is sometimes it's hard to see ourselves clearer than it's easier to see someone else. Right? So if we're being vocal about our mental health, our emotions, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, if we can make ourselves vulnerable, which I think is courageous and brave, it breaks stigma. And also it helps you because a friend might say, Hey, you know what? You've been sad for a while. Like maybe it's time you go get help. So, I mean, yes, you're right. You may be sad one day and it doesn't mean you need to immediately go to the doctor, but sometimes your days run into each other and you don't even realize how long you've been sad. Sure. I can feel like just thinking about putting myself in that situation. I know I would have some apprehension about like bringing it up too often. Like I would be worried that I would be bothering people. I'm like, oh man, I just told them that I felt sad two days ago. I don't want to tell them I feel sad again today. Is there a lot of that that kind of plays into why people don't, don't reach out at all? Yeah. And I think also we have different personality types, right? There's people who are more introverts or extroverts. So what I would say about that, if you're more an introvert or more private, or it's more difficult for you, I would still encourage you to try to get all the courage, bravery you can to speak up. But another thing that um, I have a good friend who's an introvert and she struggles with mental health challenges. And so I told her, and I even do this for myself to have clarity, do a chart for yourself on a calendar, just write sad. 
anxious, you know, just one word and then look at the weeks and you'll be startled at what it shows because, you know, even the opposite where I'm thinking, oh, I'm sad all the time. And then I look and I'm like, oh, I'm doing better than I thought, (laughs) you know, I'm having more joy days than I thought. And sometimes it's the other way around where I'm like, oh, I'm fine. And then I look at my calendar and I'm like, oh, I better go see the doctor. This We're looking at three weeks now, you know, this is a problem. So, you know, I still encourage to speak up. I always encourage people to use their authentic voice, but I think it's also okay to say, hey, I'm a little bit more private, a little bit more of an introvert. And then what I say to you is be smart, use your head and get a calendar and just one word every day before you go to bed, how, how you felt that day. Yeah. That's actually something really interesting. I had never considered as just like, uh, when you're talking, I was imagining like coloring in my calendar, like, oh, the day's done. Usually people like cross it out or do something. It's like, what if you just colored it green or blue? You're like, oh, I, I put blue when I'm sad. And then you look at the calendar at the end of the month. You're like, there is a lot of blue on here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great way to moderate, moderate your moods in a very simple manner. I mean, and I love that about the colors. I mean, you could just simply color in a day and it says everything. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at from the other side, say I am the friend of someone that I just happen to know has a mental health disorder, even if I don't know that they do, um, when is an appropriate time for me to kind of interject myself into what they are doing every day and just say like, Hey, I noticed you've been really sad lately. Have you been asking people for help or are you getting, you know, an adequate amount of care? Are you taking care of yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, um, what I would say to this is, you know, mental health is a very um, difficult um, thing to sometimes talk about because not only of the stigma, but it also is making a person vulnerable. And so what I always tell people is best to do, if you have a friend that's struggling with mental health troubles, the first thing you need to say is, I care about you. I am here for you. How can I help you? I'm noticing you're struggling and don't, you know, maybe call out specifics, how they're struggling, because then they might feel attacked. I would just use a general word of, I've noticed you're struggling. I am here for you. I care about you. How can I help? Does that make sense? Just simple words, just simple sentences, because, you know, and even authenticity of saying, I've noticed you've been struggling. I really don't know what to say or how to help. Can you help me be a better friend to you? How can I help you? Or, you know, I don't know what to say. How can I help you? And I I think being authentic in what you're saying gives people more a feeling of caring um, instead of just like, oh, hey, I'm great. You're not, you need help. Go get help. Did you see what I'm saying? An authentic, caring feeling goes a long way. Yeah. (laughs) Not just being super blunt, like, hey, get it together. Yeah. Get it together. Go get help. You're, you're, you're doing horrible. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I think you need to come in with a spirit of love and empathy and compassion and authenticity. Like if you really don't know what to do, it's better to say that. I don't know how to help you, but I care about you. 
you know, just that may open the doors of them even opening up to you. Yeah. Just saying like, look, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just asking if you need help with anything, you know, and feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Like leaves them a lot of wiggle room to either if they don't want help, just say like, no, you're wrong. I'm doing fine. Or, you know, for them to be like, well, you know, it's things are a little bad, even if they're really bad. Like you've given them a lot of room to work with your statement. Like you said, where you're like, hey, I noticed you might be struggling. What's going on? And they can say like, oh, nothing. Or they can say like, oh, man, a lot. Every day is a nightmare for me. Right. And, you know, the, you know, another thing is, is, you know, if you're a girl, like just sometimes even walking up and just saying, I want to give you a hug. Or if you're a guy, maybe just saying, Hey, you know, like buddy, you know, like maybe, you know, a slap on the back or a little, you know, side hug of, Hey, you know, I I really, I really appreciate your friendship. Sometimes even going in that way of saying something that you appreciate about them or your friendship sometimes makes them feel comfortable to open up to you. Does that make sense? So, so there's a lot of different doors to come in when you have a friend struggling, you know, just a guy putting his arm around you saying, Hey, I I appreciate your friendship. I, I really appreciate who you are. Like just even a statement like that sometimes opens the door for them to be like, okay, I can trust this person. Yeah, it's a nice touch that's like, this is something positive. Hey, I just wanted to say thank you for being my friend and I hope you're doing well. Like, it's a positive statement. It doesn't say, I want to talk about whatever is going on with you, but it certainly leaves them like, you know, something good to think about because any of those little moments can make a huge difference, I think, in your everyday life. You just think about the time you spend with friends and you're like, wow, I feel so much better not because we talked about, you know, anything bad going on, but because we just had a good time. Yeah. And sometimes that may be all it takes to say, Hey, I want to treat you to lunch. Let me treat you to lunch. You've been such a good friend. And that's, you know, also sometimes things that people leave. And also I wanted to add, you made me think as you were talking, you know, the first thing that most people say to me, because now, I mean, I hid my mental health challenges for 25 years. So, you know, look, I am a classic case of what not to do. Um, but now I'm very vocal. Obviously I'm on your show. I've written my memoir. I've been on CBS this morning being interviewed, you know, I've written op-eds. I mean, I'm out there. So, um, it's funny when I, tell people, I say, Oh, I have the bipolar obsessive compulsive and anxiety disorders. Most people go, Oh, I'm sorry. We need to stop apologizing. Okay. I don't want you to apologize to me. I don't want you to pity me. And so if somebody's telling you how they're feeling, I feel one of the worst things to be is like, Oh, I'm sorry. Instead of how can I help you? It's okay not to be okay. You've got this. You're a strong person. How can I help you get through this? Or wouldn't it be great for most people to look at me and say, wow, you're really courageous. That, that's amazing that, you know, you're handling mental health struggles. And, you know, I don't know if the listeners listening are religious or believe in something or don't. For me personally, I do believe in God. And I used to say, why God? Why me? Right? And now I say, wow, why God have you entrusted me with 
mental health challenges. You must really believe in me. So when I think that it makes me feel better. So that's what I would offer your listeners when they have friends that are having mental health struggles, believe in them, have a little more faith in them and use that language. Yeah. Like you are not hearing about it on the first day they've ever figured it out. Yeah. No no one on their first day of like, oh, wow, I have severe depression is like walking up to you and being like, hey, I have severe depression. Like this is their, you know, 10th, 100,000th day with dealing with this. And it's just something that is being brought to your attention for the first time. Like you don't have to make a huge deal out of like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's so awful. You're just like, oh, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? Like you said, you know, a simple support instead of like making them feel worse about it. Well, and I think that will also help break stigma. What you talked about, why are people not talking about this when we should, it will break stigma. Nobody wants to be apologized to, or, you know, I've had people just like, almost look at me like, wow, you know, their face says it all. It's like, we need to change the way we talk about mental health challenges and view them as well. Yeah. And you've made yourself, like you said, fairly public in talking about mental health challenges. Have you faced any backlash for any of that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, of course. And that's the other thing. So, you know, um, I think we know it, that there's going to be people who judge you. There's people who are going to, you know, hurt your feelings about it. But I still would say, be strong, be courageous, come forward. Yeah. I've had people say to me, wow, you know, they've read my book and you know, they're like, wow, your life is horrible. Like nobody wants to be told that. Right. <laughs> wow, like, I, don't, I don't need you to say awful. anything. <laughs> like I'm, you know, like, again, I'm so sorry. You know, I had one person say, yeah, you know, I almost lost my eye. I, I would rather lose my eye than have had your life. I mean, it's not great. Or after my attempted suicide, I was taken to the hospital where my husband was CEO and the leading psychiatrist there told him, never bring your wife back to this hospital again, take her where people don't know you. So, I mean, does that not say at all about the stigma that's still out there? I mean, my suicide attempt was six years ago, not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's so wild to hear something like that. Like never bring her back here, take her somewhere that no one knows your name or your face, because it's like, you wouldn't have that same thing. If you say had cancer, Like a cancer patient is not like, oh, take her to a different hospital. Don't let anyone know that she has cancer. They're like, okay, you have cancer. Let's treat this. Let's, you know, look at all these support groups that we have. And here are the fundraisers that we've got going on. Like it doesn't happen for some reason, specifically with mental illness. And thank you for saying that because it's so true. Like just hearing you say that, can you imagine if I had cancer, them telling the hospital CEO, oh, don't bring her back here. Or if I had a heart attack, right? Like it wouldn't be done. So I love that you said that it would not happen, but yes, that happened. Yeah. Um, And it's so crazy, but do you see any mental health illnesses that obviously we have a lot that we talk about right in the forefront of our daily lives, we hear depression pretty regularly. I feel like I hear anxiety a fair amount. Um, Obviously we cover post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. um, a lot after I think America has experienced, you know, only like 20 years without war or something in its history. So we talk about that a fair amount. Are there any that you see 
or hear about regularly that just don't get covered? Yeah, I would say, I think that, um, I think schizophrenia doesn't get covered a lot, talked about borderline personality more so now, but still probably not talked about a lot. Um, yeah, I would say those two, I don't think we hear from those group of people so much. Is it because, uh, we have used them kind of in like the Hollywood situation to be like, oh, these are the craziest people that you could possibly be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a friend that is schizophrenic and um, medicated, right? E even me, I mean, you know, bipolar, like I went on, I was tipping the scales at 250 pounds, you know, I've lost hundred pounds now, but you know, I spent over $150,000 on credit cards in three months. I got, I got in an altercation yelling at my son's teacher and got banned from ever coming to stepping foot on his high school property. So bipolar, I mean, yes, there's been some behavior that I've done unmedicated. That's not great. Schizophrenics, you know, hear voices or, you know, have different types of personalities unmedicated. But what I would say to you is medicated. We can live a very um, normal and great life, but like what you said, you know, Hollywood has in a lot of ways, I wrote a piece about what you just said in Miss Magazine about, you know, even think of the movie Suicide Squad that we have that title, Suicide Squad. Like, you know, I mean, it's for us, you know, for me as suicide survivor, my dad finding suicide. Yeah, that's trigger. Yeah, that hurts. But, you know, people love it you know, or the Joker, right? He's all, you know, acting crazy mental health challenges or, you know, just that whole label of crazy. Nobody wants to belong to a group that's labeled crazy. So maybe right there is why people don't talk about it or say they have mental health struggles. Yeah. I mean, one of the more, I think it's well represented, although it may give people kind of a bad view on it the movie a beautiful mind right? right like that's a good example he has schizophrenia for a large portion of the movie spoiler he doesn't know that he has schizophrenia and it's like he goes through a very wide range of struggles where it's like he's on a medication that doesn't help him or you know it makes the hallucination stop but it also kind of turns him into this like uncaring zombie and then, like, it's a large struggle for him basically just dealing with one mental health crisis to go through it. But when you see that, if that's your only exposure that you have to it, you're like, oh, all people with schizophrenia think they're on, you know, some nuclear science mission. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's so true. In fact, you know, what I want people to know and why I wrote my book, my memoir, not just to educate people on what it's like to have mental health challenges, how my mind thinks, my what it feels like to be in a psychiatric hospital, my suicide attempt, my dad, but to also see how I've come out the other end, right? So I have severe mental health challenges, but I'm a keynote speaker to Fortune 500 companies talking about mental health for their employees. I talk to psychiatrists about mental health. I talk to hospitals. I just spoke to University of Chicago, to all the doctors, to all the leadership about mental health. But yes, I'm a suicide survivor. Yes, I did all those 
things that maybe somebody would label as crazy, right? That I've, a few of the events that I've shared with you. And I think that's what people need to know is that you can lead a productive life with mental health challenges. If you get the help you need, it's possible. There is hope. It's not this doom. And that's another reason why people keep it stigmatized or don't want to have it or worst thing ever, because they think it just destroys your life. And I've been married 30 years. Yes. My marriage was hanging on by a thread, but I have a happy, happy marriage now, a very good marriage, good relationships. So I think we need to come forward. People who are successfully living with mental health challenges And we need to come forward and speak and saying, we're being successful. There is success stories. There is hope because like what you pointed out, there's all these examples of gloom and doom and that's not great either. Yeah. So when you talk to some of these major companies, which congratulations, those are enormous achievements. Thank you. When you talk to them and you you bring your story and I imagine you talk to them like no spoilers about the uh, the speech. If you want to, you have to hire her. But when you talk to them, are there changes that you like to advocate for inside of a company? Yes. Yes. Is that, you know, I think a lot of times people think like, if I talk about my mental health challenges, then I have to bear my soul. And that's not the case. I think it, we need to normalize that, Hey, I'm having some mental health challenges. I'm going to take a mental health day without somebody having fear of they're going to be seen as weak from their coworkers, or they're going to be passed over for promotions. We need to change the conversation of getting mental health help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness and leadership needs to talk about their own mental health struggles. So other people feel comfortable. And so I would say to any of your audience members, what's the number one thing you can do to break mental health stigma, talk about your own with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, your voice is powerful and you will help break stigma more powerfully than anything than using your own voice. Yeah. I think it, we're we're kind of stuck in this vicious cycle until we see broader change where it's like, oh, if I talk about it, I'm viewed as weak. And if I'm weak, I'm not going to get promoted. And if I'm not promoted, I'm going to be stuck here. And it's like, well, not all of those things can be you know, are true. They certainly might be in some companies, but that is mostly just because no one is talking about it. Like if your leadership had said like, yeah, I'm your CEO and I suffer with severe depression, like that makes it okay for the people under them to also talk about it without there being like, oh, well, you're never going to be promoted. Well, right. And like how we started this conversation, right? Mental health challenges are part of everybody's life journey. So it doesn't matter if you're the CEO, it doesn't matter what race, religion, sexual orientation, um, if your economic background you come from, what your position is, mental health challenges are part of everyone's life. They do not discriminate. So that's where I think we need to really take that statement in to realize your CEO is having mental health challenges. Like everybody has them. So it doesn't mean you can't be successful. It doesn't mean you can't be promoted, but we want to put on this image of I've got my life together. I'm perfect. I mean, think of Instagram, right? Everybody's posting, you know, them doing all these fun things and I'm amazing. And look at this. 
but the reality is we all have difficult days. We all have crappy days. We all have things happen that are just hard and not great. It's just, we've got to just normalize what rot life really is. And that's mental health challenges. And yes, joyful moments too, right? Life is all of it. That means you're alive. If you're having joyful and happy moments and sad and depressed moments and anxious moments and great things happening and setbacks and failures and successes, that tells me, hey, you're having the human experience. You're alive. That's more realistic. And and we need to kind of be a little bit more vocal about that. Yeah, certainly we do. And as I've gotten a little deeper into the the creative, you know, pile that we are all in, I've certainly heard some people say, you know, not often, but they they will say like, hey, I can't do anything this week. I'm, you know, I'm really struggling here. I know it's unfortunate for everyone that listens to me, but I got to take a week off to take care of myself. And I get to see, you know, the outpouring of support for those people that are like, no, you should be taking this time for yourself. You know, like your creative endeavors are not worth your health. Even as your audience, we appreciate that. But there is a a saying that I've always loved when it came to, especially like Instagram, where everything is always so like fluffy and bright, Mm -hmm. where they said, if the grass is always greener on the other side, it's probably because it's fake. Oh my gosh. I love that. Okay. I'm going to have to use that one. I love it. I've never heard that. Yeah. I don't remember where I heard it the first time, but I heard it and I was like, all right, that might be one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Okay. I'm going to have to agree with you there because I think that right there is a truth statement. Truth. Yes. Absolutely. Um, So in, you know, in getting people to speak out more, is there you know, a treatment or a service or something that you would like to see just kind of universally provided for people? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Dialectical behavior therapy is a scientifically proven therapy that um, teaches you skills. So yeah, talk therapy is good because sometimes you need to just be listened to and kind of, you know, have someone show compassion. So I've done 30 years of therapy. I've done them all. And what has helped me get through my mental health challenges and manage them is skills, just like anything else. Right. And so I feel like I wish that schools offered and colleges offered dialectical behavior therapy classes, because literally it is kind of like a class you're learning things that are just so invaluable to help you have a more mentally healthy life. And the therapy is so popular. There's like a six month waiting list to even get on it. And a lot of people can't afford it. A lot of insurances don't pay for it. So yeah, if I had my dream, right. My wish list is that everybody would have access to dialectical behavior therapy because even my children who don't have mental health challenges have gone through those programs And they have come out so much healthier and just in their relationships, personally with themselves, how to handle setbacks, failure, how to handle your emotions, right? And um, they've benefited hugely from it. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to have a diagnosed mental health disorder to take care of yourself. Okay. I love that. Love that. Mm -hmm. That's very important. What you just said. Yeah. So 
dialectical therapy. This is the first time I'm I'm hearing of it. Um, and you had kind of compared it like, you know, talk therapy is like a small piece of this pie for this larger therapy. Um, could you expand on some of what's in it? Yeah. So, um, so they do like modules, there's emotion regulation that teaches you how to deal with your emotions. There is interpersonal relationship skills, how you learn to be in relationships because everybody has mental health struggles, right. Or, you know, poor mental health at some time. And so how to have successful relationships when those things are happening and then distress tolerance, learning skills of what things you should do when you're in distress, which a lot of, I mean, we all get in distress, right? And so it gives you skills and things to do that really help like that. I would say that is why I'm successful today is because after dialectical behavior therapy, I have so many skills that I can manage these mental health challenges and I get better and better at them. And so it's like, if somebody would have told me 20 years ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing as well as I'm, I wouldn't believe them, but dialectical behavior therapy changed my life. So, you know, if you can't do the program, I would say, look at your therapist and see if they are dialectical behavior therapy, DBT trained. And so even if your therapist is trained, go say to them, I want to learn some DBT skills, like anything, any of those skills can help you. Yeah. Is there like, should we be training more therapists to work in this field? Yes. Yes. And more are, I mean, it, it really is growing more, more and more are, but absolutely. I, okay. I went to a therapist after I had DBT and I moved to a different state and I just went to a therapist. I didn't really look if they were DBT trained or not. And I sat down and she had her pen and paper and she's like, okay, tell me. And, you know, like I was just supposed to like talk therapy, right? Like I was just going to start talking and I kind of started talking to her about certain things I was struggling with and she's just writing them down. And I realized, and I said to her, I go, okay, so is there some tips you can give me? Is there some skills you can give me to deal with this certain struggle I'm having right now or this certain situation? And she just stared at me and I just said to her right there. And then I said, I don't think we're a good fit. And I got up and left. And so this is another thing that I need to tell people just because you go to a therapist and you think they're a therapist, you can go try as many different therapists as you need to, till you find the right one. And then even when you've seen them for a while, maybe it's time to change therapists. Maybe you've learned all you can learn from them or even seeing doctors. I always go when I move. I get on the waiting list. Yes, I have to wait for psychiatrist appointments, but I get on a waiting list of three psychiatrists and I go try them all out. And so I think, you know, take your power back, like take your power back of what you can control with your mental health challenges and realize, okay, I'm going to go find the person that fits for me, who I can work with on my team for mental health to get it healthy. I'm going to go and find the right people for me. Yeah. I think that's very important to like recognize that there is no one size fits all. Like some people might just need that, you know, mannequin of a person that just is going to sit there and is going to listen to you talk 
Whereas other people, like you said, need a real skill. They're like, I want to get something out of this. If I wanted to just talk at someone, I could put a Halloween mask on my bedpost and talk to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have appreciated this immensely. I think it's brought a lot to the conversation where people can, you know, listen, take something away, maybe even listen to this more than once. You know, the first time that you listen to this, go out there and just try and either talk to a friend or talk about your situation to a friend. It's okay to be both parties. If you are struggling, you can still reach out and help other people. And sometimes if you're struggling, you need to reach out and get help as well. So I, I have appreciated that immensely. I was hoping to give you some time just to talk about, you know, the things you were doing and where people can find you. Yeah, I think um, you can go to soniawasden.com for my speaking or for my books. You can go to an impossible life.com. But one thing I really encourage you can go to Amazon and buy my book, An Impossible Life. And what I ask people is after you've read it, if you have someone you love that has mental health challenges that you don't understand, my book will help you better understand them. If you have mental health challenges, it will make you feel not alone and give you hope that things can get better. But what I ask is write a little message inside my book and pass it on to someone else. I didn't do this to like, oh, I want to earn money. I'm going to sell books, sell books. I'm doing this because I'm passionate. I'm a suicide survivor. This is personal. So, so I would ask you, if you buy one of my books to please, even if you put, you're not alone and then give it to someone and say to them, write something in it, pass it around. I want to know how many people touch one book and have little messages in it till it's shredded and has to be thrown away. I just... I think it's really important. And so it's so neat. People email me back and say, oh my gosh, you know, 20 people have messages in your book and I just got it. And I'm going to make sure and pass it on, Sonia. I love that. So if you get a book, get it with the intention of how many people can this be passed around with little messages of encouragement in it? Well, and that's, I think that's so great, especially like hearing it from the author saying like, no, I don't need 20 people to buy my book. I need one person to buy my book and then make sure it reaches, you know, five, 10, however many people you can get it to, because it's more valuable for you to read the book than it is for me to have a sales number. Yeah. That's the whole reason I'm doing it. Like I said, it was, and yes, I am going to be honest. It is very difficult that I, I, my book, I did not hold anything back. It is the unvarnished truth. People are like, wow, you laid it out there. I have made myself vulnerable and I tell you everything. I share everything and I've done that. And yeah, sometimes it's hard where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's out there, but it is to help people. What I wouldn't have done when I was in the depths of despair to have a book like that, to read that somebody who made it through, you know, it would have been invaluable to me or to have my loved ones read it to understand what I'm going through. So yeah, it's a labor of love and um, it's to all those people out there to let you know you're not alone. And I believe in you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it immensely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the just dumb enough podcast. Before I get into the whole end of the show spiel, I just want to remind my listeners that if you aren't sure who to talk to or who will listen, if you need to tell someone you're having a hard time, message me through this show on social media. 
I've had people reach out to me on there before, and I'm glad they did. You put your valuable time into listening to my show. The least I can do is be there for you if you ever need an ear. If you want to help the show grow, rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. If you have not already, please tell someone you know to listen to this show. It gets more listeners than any other form of marketing or advertising I could ever do. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, or questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm still a featured show on the Podbean podcast streaming service, which has lasted a lot longer than I ever imagined it would. It's where most of my listeners come from now, so check it out if you're getting tired of certain other podcast apps crashing or injecting ads into the middle of your shows. Top country updates for July so far. United States still at number one. Still holding about 40%, which is realistically really low for a domestic show. Top states are California and Oregon. Number two, Australia, still led by New South Wales. Number three, Canada, getting yet another new top province week after week. This time, Alberta, just barely beating out Ontario. Number four, the United Kingdom, hanging in there. And number five, Germany, narrowly bumping South Africa down to number six. If you didn't know, I switched things up a bit, and I'm doing episodes twice a week for now. I'll keep this up as much as I can with my schedule and my normal work day. I hope you all enjoy the extra episodes each week. I'll see you all Thursday for the next scandalous episode. Buh-bye!